I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Yeah, let's just relax and see that, huh? We just chopped out a piece of it. Sorry. Uh, we are beginning a new series this morning called Christmas Classics, and what we're going to do is uh, we're looking at a clip here, and then the other two weeks we'll be talking about other Christmas classics and kind of tying it in to what we see as it relates to Christmas, the story of Christmas. And of course, uh, most of you have seen the, uh, uh, the video, It's a Wonderful Life, and I think it's uh, probably one of the favorites of most people. And of course, you know the whole premise of it right? Uh, it's about Clarence, uh, supposed angel. Uh, we don't believe that angels earn their wings or anything. Uh, that's not good theology. But the premise of what we're trying to share with you this morning is the whole idea of George Bailey. You know, the whole movie is basically set on what would his life, have, what would life have been like without George Bailey? Well, I want to ask a different type question this morning. What would life have been like without Christ? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And, and I want to show you some things basically behind the scenes as to what took place there uh, in Bethlehem on that evening that we know so well. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. Some of you are like, didn't expect that with Christmas. Revelation, yeah? Turn over there, if you will. And we're going to look at some very inter interesting passages. As you're turning, let me just read this from the introduction on your outline. The ripple effect of one person's life is impossible to, ma to, to measure. Now, now think about that. A person's life can have a profound impact on a person, a family, a church, a community, a society, a nation, and also the world for some. Now, now when you think about that, you, you could say that some people's lives have impacted for the good, while others have impacted for the worse. Uh, but I'm here to say that I think that I think all of our desires are to impact those around us for the good. And hopefully that's the journey that you're on. Of course, we know that there are some who are not. But there is one who did come, and his name is Jesus, and he definitely impacted the world for the good. Now, it's not presented that way in, mo in the media, but we know he did. So look on your outline again. What a person does with their life echoes for generations into eternity. Jesus lived a wonderful life that echoes throughout eternity. Now, some of you have heard this before, but I want to kind of set the stage this morning. I thought this would help do this better than anything. I want you to think about the life of Jesus. And someone wrote this. You probably have seen it before. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in, an, in another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then, three, then for three years, he was a itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a home. He didn't go to college. He never visited a big city. In fact, he never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompanies greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One even denied him. He was turned over to his enemies, and he went through a mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his garments, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave, through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, 
And today, he is still the central figure of the human race. All the armies, this is interesting, all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man on this earth as much as that one solitary life, Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? Someone really summed that up very well. Jesus lived a wonderful life that benefits us today, but how? What was really at stake at Jesus' birth? Have you ever thought about that? What was really at stake? It's interesting that that when we think of the the birth, the manger, the nativity, we we think of of all these wonderful things. And, and of course, we think of Christmas and it's built into traditions in which many of us were raised. But I want us to look, I want us to kind of pull behind the curtain, look what was really behind there. So look at your uh, outline. The parallel account of Jesus' birth. Now, the gospel records the accounts of Jesus' birth. They kind of have a silent night feel to it. Now, I'm not going to sing this, but I'm going to read you the words, okay? Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round young virgin, mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild. Sleep in heavenly peace. That's where I would mess up if I were singing. Silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at the sight. Glory stream from heaven afar, heavenly hosting, alleluia. Christ the Savior, you know that part, is born. It, it just feels like everything, as we read it in Scripture, when is planned this peaceful, silent night. When Jesus was born. However, when we read Revelation chapter 12, we see a more violent account of this very scene. And it's really interesting when you think about it. So look at the question there. What are the behind-the-scenes events surrounding the coming of Christ? Now, let me just say this before we go any further. Do you realize that the coming of Christ goes all the way back, at least to talk of it, goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15? Did you know that? That's really where the whole idea of the coming of Christ, the Messiah, even comes from. And so when you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we're going to read the verse a little bit later, you'll see that that's the promise of him coming. And, of course, we knew it took some time for him to get here. But in Revelation chapter 12, I want you to look at verse 1. This is a behind-the-scenes account of what we would call what happened there in Bethlehem. Now, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun With the moon under her feet and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Now there are some who believe that this is a a portrait of Mary. And, and, And it very well. I mean the description in some ways does say that it does look like Mary. But many would agree mostly that this is really a picture of the nation of Israel. That is the God's uh, promised people that would bring about the seed of the Messiah. And so we see how this is shaped here in verses 1 and 2. It says in verse 3, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his heads. Verse 4, His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to earth. Now who are we talking about there? 
We're talking about Satan. We're talking about the enemy. And so we see a, a, a more violent portrait of what was really taking place with the first coming of Christ. And it says, And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Now think about the two accounts. Now, the gospel accounts do have challenges. How many of you would agree with that? I mean, poor Mary, she's nine months pregnant. She's got to make a journey of 80 miles, and, and there are no uh, 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 grand marquees or any great cars like that. Uh, why did I pull Gary's car out of this? Anyway, <laughs> but anyway, there was nothing like that. And, and what's interesting about that is the fact that, that, that she made her way there, and everything was fine, and they get there, there was no room. How many of you remember the story? And from what we could tell, the baby was born in a stable. So there were challenges. But when you read Revelation chapter 12, you see that there is a parallel history of what is going on here that's very intense, that's very violent when you really look at it. So look on your outline, the possible alternative of history. Now, there's a whole area of historical studies, I don't know if you're aware of this, called alternative history. These historians and scholars get together and they ask the question, the what if questions. They look at different events in history and different people in history and they say, what if? Now, here's some of the questions that they've considered over the years. What if computers had never been invented? Have you ever wondered what that would have been like? What would that have been like? Well, there probably would not have been any kind of journey to the moon. Uh, our lives would be totally different, some for the better. How many of you would agree with that? <laughs> uh, but, but anyway, th th they ask these type of questions. Uh, th what if Star Trek and Star Wars had never been written and never been produced as a movie? Well, of course, we would have no nerds if, if that were the case. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was my own. They didn't really look at that. But anyway, but here's the interesting question. What if Adolf Hitler had never been born? You ever thought of that? Some people who are very wise, probably more wise than I am, believe that Satan would have just picked someone else to carry it out. But the point is this. He was born, and we see all the destruction. But what if he'd not been born? What if Osama bin Laden had never been born? What if our founding fathers had never been born? But here's the better question. What would history have been like without the coming of Christ? And, of course, we're talking about his first coming. I want you to look at Revelation chapter 12. Look at verse 7. It says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. Of course, we know him to be Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail. How many of you like that phrase? They did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that Michael and the angels won. I'm just not so glad that, that, that they were cast out here on earth. <laughs> but that's the account of the story. Now, here's what's interesting. He was cast out here to the earth along with a third of those that he drew with him. You do understand that. That's biblical history, okay? But not only that, guess what earth would also be? It would be the place in which the Messiah 
would be born. Not only are we here, not only are the fallen angels here, not only is Satan the prince and the power of the air, but guess who else shows up? The Messiah, Christ himself. Now, down through the ages, the enemy has sought to destroy the seed that would lead to the birth and life of the Messiah. Of course, that's Jesus. You do know that, right? You do know that, that he had the idea. He knew. He, matter of fact, here's what we need to understand about the enemy. He knows the word probably better than most of us know the word. And he knew what was presented there in Genesis chapter 3. Listen to what it says. You write it down. You may want to read it for yourself. Genesis 3 verse 15 says this. He says, and I will put enmity. This is God speaking. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed. Now, here's who he's talking to. He's talking to the enemy himself. You remember, after the fall, there were punishments that were given out. Okay, do you remember that? And he looked at the serpent who was the, the deceiver, Satan himself. He says, I'm going to put enmity. There's going to be a battle between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, think about this. When it's talking about bruise his head, it's literally talking about a fatal blow. That's what it's referring to. But what's going to happen is the enemy is going to do some damage. He is going to do some damage. Did the enemy do some damage on the cross? Yeah, physically, he did some damage to the Savior. Okay, But that was only partial. There was nothing that was a, de a, a deafening blow, nothing that would take him out. And that's what we read. So it, the enemy knew right from the beginning that, that this woman, okay, at the time it would have been Eve, that she would give birth to children, and children would give birth to more children, and children and on and on and on. And, and, and there was going to be someone who was going to pop up somewhere that was going to seek to destroy the enemy. So he knew all along. So don't you think he was trying his best to see that that did not happen? Don't you think he did? I mean, think about the times. Think about the days of Noah. Uh, we read about extreme wickedness filled the earth. It's almost like the enemy himself said, I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to make man so wicked that God will not want to have anything to do with them. And all of a sudden, wickedness was everywhere. But God found one righteous man. You know who it was, don't you? It was Noah and his sons. And he put them on an ark and he preserved the seed of man to continue. So the enemy, he, 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 he lost one there. But then it goes on, and all of a sudden, Abraham, there's, uh, God is, uh, Abraham has found favor with God, and all of a sudden, God begins to, to make a covenant with Abraham, and, and the seed, oh, your seed will be as much as the stars of heaven, the sands of the sea. But there was only one problem. His wife was what? Barren. She couldn't have any children. The enemy probably thought, oh, yeah, yeah, God, do you really know what you're doing? <laughs> But you know what? A miracle happened. A 90-some-year-old woman had a baby. <laughs> That's truly a miracle. And all of a sudden, it continued. Now, think about Moses. The time of Moses. Moses is up on the uh, Mount Sinai receiving the law of God. And, and, and basically, Moses, uh, the people gathered at the bottom of the hill, those are God's people. Those will be the people that will make the impact. Through those people would come the Messiah. And while he's up there, what does God tell Moses? Your people down there, <laughs> or my people down there, have created an idol. And literally, here's what we read in Scripture. 
Moses pleaded with God not to destroy his own people. He interceded for them. Okay. Now, there's several people that would say, oh, in the presence of the sovereign God, we knew he would never destroy his. Yeah, he could have destroyed them. But it's interesting, he would have always had a remnant because he always had a plan. But the enemy thought if he could get, them, get, the, get God to turn on his people, that he would smite them from the earth. And we see that that didn't necessarily happen. How about this? We move forward to the time of David. And David, is, uh, there's a covenant made with David. You know, that was a very important covenant, by the way. That covenant basically said that through this man will come the Messiah. You, you remember reading that? So what, did, what happened? All of a sudden, Saul is raised up to, to seek to destroy King David. And, of course, we know his attempts failed. But it didn't end there. The daughter of Ahab and Jezebel sought to destroy the, all the descendants of King David. All of them were destroyed except for one. His name was Joash. And he was preserved. And he was taken care of. Because God had a plan. The enemy, again, must have thought, boy, I got close that time. Then we come to the story of Esther. Haman, do you remember? Sought to destroy the whole Jewish race. He just wanted the genocide. He wanted to wipe them all out. But God had another plan. And Mordecai and Esther had a plan. All of a sudden, got, all the tables were turned against Haman. And that didn't happen. And then we come, and we come all the way to the point in which Jesus is now born. Do you know what happened a couple years later after Jesus' birth? There's a mad king, what, named Herod. And he thinks he might get him. And so he goes into Bethlehem and slaughters those children, two years of age and younger. The enemy possibly must have thought, yeah, maybe I got him that time. I mean, it, it just failed attempt after failed attempt, failed attempt. Then the enemy rallied the religious when Jesus was 30 years of age. And he brought anger to them and hatred towards him through the religious. Think about that. I'm bound to get him now. He goes to the cross he dies a brutal death. One day goes by. Two days go by. But what happened on the third day? He rose up. The enemy. I mean, can you imagine how frustrated he must be? He sought to destroy. Listen, the dragon named Satan sought to destroy Jesus before he came, became the savior of humanity. However, he failed. Now he's just a sore loser seeking to destroy any glory worthy of Jesus. And that's what we're seeing him do even through many of our lives, to seek to destroy us, to steal that glory. So, what would a world look like without Jesus? I want you to think about that. Don't you think the date would be a little different? Would you think about that? I mean, the date would be different. The, this time of year would be different. I want you to think about groups of people that, that, that the Christianity, when Christ showed up, things began to change. Women have been immeasurably, they have benefited from Christ's influence. Listen to this. In ancient cultures, the wife was considered the property of the husband. Aristotle explained it this way. He said this, a woman is somewhere between a free man and a slave. In ancient India, China, Rome, Greece, men believed that women were not capable or able to live independent lives. Prior to Christian influence in India, this is interesting, widows were often killed at the time of their husbands' deaths because they didn't believe women could take care of themselves. Jesus did more to elevate the status of women than any other figure in history. 
Think about the poor. Poverty has always been a part of life, but Christians inspired by Jesus have done more than any institution or group of people to alleviate poverty in history. There are countless third world orphanages put out there by, inspired by those who serve Jesus. How about inner city missions, hundreds of thousands of food pantries, all of these have been inspired by Jesus. The Salvation Army, the YMCA started this way. Compassion International are just a few of the hundreds of organizations that exist and have been started to alleviate poverty, to reach out to people in need in the name of Christ. Gallup, George Gallup reports that over $25 billion every year are spent in the name of Jesus to alleviate the condition of the poor. How about North American Education? Now, this will blow your mind. At its foundation was based in Christianity. Did you know that? Listen to some of these things. The first 123 colleges and universities founded in the United States, that would include uh, Chapel Hill, very liberal university. Anyway, they got a good basketball team. But anyway, very liberal university. But that would include them in this. Were started by Christians for Christian purposes, including, listen, Harvard, Princeton, and Yale. Think about that. Where's the seedbed of liberalism that attacks anything Christianity comes in, uh, is about? They're, they came right from there. But guess where they came from? It's very interesting. Most of the languages that we have today have been codified by Christians. That means they've, they've made them written languages. Did you know that happened by Christians attempting to, to spread the gospel? And so many people have gone in and, and these uh, groups and they've gone in and they've sought to, to make the people's language in a written language so the, so the Bible could be translated. I mean, think about this. This is Christianity doing all this. Public schools, this will blow your mind, were started for the purpose of teaching children how to read the Word of God. It becomes more, even more obvious when you look at their curriculum. It was the Bible and what was called the New England Primer. How many of you ever heard of it? This is how the children were taught their ABCs in the United States when, the, when our nation was being founded. A means in Adam's. In Adam, we all fall and have all sinned. B means heaven to find the Bible mind. C stands for Christ crucified for sinners died. That is how the public schools were teaching children when the nation was being formed. Isn't that interesting? Listen to this. It would be very easily, it would be, it would be fairly easy to make the argument that if Jesus had never been born, the United States would not exist as it does today. We owe our existence as a country to the birth of Christ. John Quincy Adams wrote this concerning the founding of our nation. The birthday of our nation is indissolubly linked to the, to the birthday of our Savior. In 1620, before the pilgrims landed, they sat in the captain's quarters of the ship and they wrote what would be called the birth certificate of America. It's called the Mayflower Compact. This is part of what they wrote. We whose names are undersigned, having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in, northern, in the northern parts of Virginia. Did you see what they said? For the glory of God and the advancement of what? The Christian faith. Here's another one. The published battle cry for the American Revolution was this. No king but King Jesus. 
Patrick Henry said this. He's become my new favorite, by the way. It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not by religions, but by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If not for the coming of Christ, what would our nation be like? What would the world be like? Thank God we are not living in the alternative history. Christ did come and has had a profound impact really on everything. On everything. Next, we see the priceless application of Jesus' birth. I want you to look again at Revelation chapter 12. Look at verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Did the enemy succeed? Nope, he missed. For the accuser of our brethren, that's the enemy, who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. That means he's been defeated. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Of course, he's talking about those who will uh, talking about that during the time of the tribulation period and all that. But listen, that's been going on ever since Christ left. That's been happening. And we see that. So what would it be like, look on your outline, without the coming of Christ? First of all, there would be no forgiveness. No forgiveness. Before Christ came, there was forgiveness but when he came, it took on an eternal character. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 1.7. In him, which is Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now think of this. Can you imagine your life without the forgiveness of sin? Can't even imagine, can you? How about this one? There would be no salvation can you imagine a world without salvation? Can you imagine a world without a Savior? 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to attain salvation. How did it happen? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Next, there would be no peace. Can you imagine your life with only guilt and shame and no true peace? Romans 5 says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And how is it phrased again? Through our Lord Jesus Christ, or through Christ Jesus. Next, there would be no purpose. Think about it. Without Christ, there's no purpose. Can you imagine a life without purpose? Ephesians 3, verse 11 says this, According to the eternal promise which he accomplished. How did he accomplish it? In Christ Jesus, our Lord. How about this one? Can you imagine a world with no hope? No hope. Can you imagine that? It says in 1 Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. That's the whole idea of being born again. What were we born again towards? To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So here's the application. Jesus came to bring salvation, purpose, and hope to your life. Have you accepted the benefits of his wonderful life? And here's a good question. Does your life make a difference? And, and, and I, listen, let me just say this. When Jesus walked the face of the earth, the greatest message he ever preached, or the greatest message we believe that was ever preached, was the Sermon on the Mount. 
And did you know that he said we are to be two things? I've shared this with you before. Light and salt. Do you know what they both represent? Powerful influence. Powerful influence. Listen, listen, when we became born again, when we accepted the claims of Christ, when we came to him on his terms through repentance and faith and all those things and by grace, and when, when all that took place, listen, it wasn't just for us to just kind of hang out and enjoy that as much as we enjoy it. It's also there for us to have influence. So I want to ask you a question. Does your life have influence? Does it? Do you represent salt? I mean, salt is something that, that changes. I mean, how, how many of you like to put salt on things? It just brings it out. Our lives should bring things out of people. Now, if you have a heart condition, I understand you're limited in that. But your life doesn't have to be. But, but here's another one. What does light do? It dispels darkness. What's a representation of darkness? Well, part of darkness is dis- Deception. Deception. And when we live as light, we can dispel the deception of the people that live around us. Now, let me just tell you this. They, they don't automatically embrace what you represent because the Bible says that there are certain people that like to live in darkness. They like that. That's the reason sometimes your life is a threat to people if you live a life of influence. But here's what I want you to understand. What if you had never been born? Some of you may think, I'm not sure anything would really made a difference if I had not been born in it is now. Well, y'all, that's not what he died for you to be. He died for you to have an influence. Influence. But that influence comes from what Christ has done in your life. You, do you understand that? And that's what it means. So how many of you are grateful that Christ came? That we're not living an alternate history. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so here's what I want you to do. If you will, go ahead and stand to your feet. Father, we just come to you right now, and we just thank you so much for Jesus. Lord, I think so many times we lose sight of what it really means, or possibly it's not us just losing sight. We've, we've always grown up with this story. We've always known what Christmas represented. We, for many of us in this room, we've always known what the true meaning of Christmas is. It's not about the malls and the presents and the Santa Clauses and all that. It's all about the coming of Christ, the Messiah. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that while we may have grown accustomed to certain traditions that surround this time of season, Lord, that we would understand what was really at stake when, when that baby showed up in Bethlehem. That baby represented our only hope. And Father, I pray for someone that may be here this morning, maybe they've never considered this story in, the, in, in this context, that, that there was great things at stake, Father. Their, their soul, the eternal soul was at stake. Father, if there's someone here today that doesn't know your son, that's never come to him on the terms you set forth through repentance and faith and receiving the grace that you're offering, Father, I just pray, Lord, today would be that day that they'll give their heart to you. Father, you know that's been our prayer for those who have come through this drive-through all weekend, Lord, that, that something would awaken in someone right there in their car that, that would inspire them to, to, to turn to you, Father. Lord, I just thank you for the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. And Father, if there's someone here who doesn't know you, I pray today would be the day they'll come and say, I want to know this Jesus. Father, I pray for the Christian that may be here. And, and again, as I said a while ago, that maybe they've just kind of grew up with the traditions. They've grew up with the story. I pray that this year, maybe they, they'll see it a little differently, Father. That they'll see it in a way that inspires them to have the influence that you've called them to have with those around them, Father. And Father, if there's someone here that believes this is your church home, you've called them to be a part of, Lord, that they can come and uh, us influence them and them influence us, Lord, for, for the good of the kingdom. Father, I just pray you'll have your way in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to get ready to sing here. or I actually